0: A new drug is being touted as a breakthrough to find a cure for Alzheimer's. It's the first treatment to slow the onset of the degenerative disease, but it's not without risks. So how important is this trial and what will be its impact on millions of people around the world? I'm Mohammed Mjum, and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. All right, let's go ahead and bring in our guests. In Glasgow, Graeme Sutherland, who uses social media to raise awareness about Alzheimer's after his mother was diagnosed. He's also a social media ambassador for Alzheimer's Scotland. In Leuven, Belgium, Dr. Bart De Struper, director of the UK Dementia Research Institute. And in Cambridge, Susan Kohlhaas, director of research at Alzheimer's Research UK. A warm welcome to you all, and thanks so much for joining us on Inside Story today. Uh, Susan Kohlhaas, let me start with you today. The results that have been released thus far from this clinical trial of lecanemab how big a breakthrough is this?
1: This is a historic moment for Alzheimer's research because it's the first time that we've actually shown that a drug that you give to people can slow cognitive decline. It's really what we've been waiting for in the field for many, many years. And it's a culmination of... Uh, many years of research, uh, patient effort, and and people participating in clinical trials. So it's fantastic news for the field. Um, it shows that dementia isn't simply an inevitable part of aging. So we're really delighted at Alzheimer's Research UK.
0: Yeah, and Susan Kohlhaus let me also just follow up with you. I mean you mentioned that this is showing uh, that it was that it is slowing cognitive decline. Um, this clinical trial found that after 18 months uh, patients receiving lecanemab declined slower than those taking a placebo. Um, that difference is that enough to be considered a clinic, clinically meaningful treatment?
1: We don't really have consensus on that at the moment, but but there are a couple of big unknowns. So I think first is that this dr- this drug is gives a modest effect. I think it's really important to manage people's expectations on that but this is a first generation drug and we wouldn't we wouldn't normally see major uh, impacts for a first generation drug. I think the second thing to remember is that for somebody who is developing Alzheimer's disease in the early stages of Alzheimer's disease what is meaningful could be really different. This this is something that could uh, give people more time with their families, give people more time to live independently. Um, And I think that is not to be understated for a patient community that has waited for decades for treatments. And I think finally, we don't have yet, because it's too early, long-term data on whether intervention early on can actually change the trajectory Uh, of the disease later on. And I think those studies, those long-term studies where we collect that data long-term will be really key in determining whether or not we see effects much longer than the 18 months that we've, we've studied today.
0: Graham Sutherland, I saw you nodding along to some of what Susan Kohlhaas was saying there, and and I want to ask you, as someone who has very publicly documented the toll that Alzheimer's has taken on your mother and, and on your family, what was your initial reaction when you heard the news about the results of this trial?
2: It is brilliant because it does give some hope for the future for people whose family and loved ones are diagnosed with this disease, because when my mom was diagnosed with it there wasn't anything at all so the fate's kind of sealed at that point whereas this is at least a path in the right direction
0: and, and graeme um how long ago was your mother diagnosed and, and and what kind of a toll did that take of finding that out for for you and, and for her and for other members of your family
2: so she was diagnosed around seven years ago now um it's been quite slow but more it's sped up more recently and um, i think the it has been very it's a physical tool, but mainly a mental impact because you're you're watching your loved one. I'm watching my mum uh, slowly fade away in front of me. It's affected all the family and friends watching that happen because there's nothing you can do about it. You feel very hopeless and you know you need to take care of that person because there's not a lot of funding in place to help carers and a lot of people like myself and my sister have in life to deal with that.
0: Bart DeStrupper, this approach to treating Alzheimer's, uh, this has been in the works, as I understand it, for over 30 years. Why did it take this long? And and what's the difference between this form of treatment and, and other forms of treatment that have been attempted in the past?
3: Uh, that's a big question, you know. So uh, first of all, why does it take so long? Well, um, I think the brain is one of the most difficult, well, I think that we all agree, that it's a very difficult organ, uh, much more difficult than anything else we study. Uh, there's also, uh, uh, it's also very protected from environment. So that means that getting medication in the brain is very difficult. But if you really ask me why it has taken so long, I think it's because this field has hugely been underfunded over all these years. And, um, uh, and I think that, that if, we, if you compare it with, for instance, a field like cancer, where we have seen a lot of progress, I think it's a 15 fold uh, difference. So it just takes much more time to get your money together to do your investigations and to test things. So that's for me, the two reasons. It's a very difficult problem and it's an underfunded field. And then the way it works and, and how it compares with others. So the genetic proof that amyloids, these accumulations in the brain are causally related to the disease has been there for many years, but um, because of trials trying to tackle it failing, there was a lot of criticism and people started to to think that it was not the right way. So it's for scientists like me very satisfying to see that we were all these years on the right track and that being a bit stubborn is a necessity if you want to achieve something. So. Um, are there other ways to treat it? Well, first of all, I think that we need to find other ways to, to bust those amyloid plaques, uh, because the drug which we have now is, is far too expensive. If you want to roll out that all over the world for the, for the 50, 55 million uh, people with dementia, huh, and 150 million in 30 years, mm. we need to have a drug which is cheap. So that's uh, the challenge now for the people in this area. And so we can talk maybe about other examples, but uh, Alzheimer is also characterized by other uh, lesions. For instance, mm. uh, and the names are not so important, but uh, they call it tangles. And uh, there is also a kind of inflammation in the brain. Mm. And we start to understand also those pathologies better and better. And so obviously, if we could have now also similar clusters um, as uh, as as the amyloid tract we have now, that would be extremely helpful. And so. Um so that's I, I mean, but that's the nice thing now we have a breakthrough and so it will be much easier now to to, to test new ideas and to to, to go forward. Because it's proof mm-hmm. that you can do something about this disease.
0: And, and Bart the Super, I just want to drill down on, on something you mentioned there. Because you you were you were mentioning this word uh, amyloid. Uh, this new drug lecanemab. It's an antibody, and and it inhibits the yes. buildup in the brain of this protein called beta amyloid. Yeah, yeah. we don't
3: know what, what, how it works, to be honest.
0: Okay. Well, well so what, it's if we can just for, to explain, if we can just explain to our viewers yeah. what exactly is beta amyloid and what role does that play?
3: Yeah. Well, um, to make it short, so um, uh, our body produces all kinds of uh, proteins, uh, which are basically the, the, the little machines, we do everything which we do all the day, thinking, working, eating, etc. And so these are small building blocks. And so the amyloid peptide is a small fragment of such a building block. The building block is called... Very logically, amyloid precursor. Mm. So, and a small fragment of that amyloid precursor is amyloid peptide. You can see it as a small piece that breaks off of a stone or soap. And that small piece uh, accumulates in the brain and causes problems there. And that we call the mm. amyloid plaques. So, amyloid peptides, these small pieces accumulating under the form of amyloid plaques in the brain. And they those nasty things in the brain.
0: Uh, Graham, I saw you nodding along a bit when Bart was talking about the fact that, from his perspective, one of the reasons it's, it's taken this long to get where we are right now is because the research into Alzheimer's has been underfunded. Do you think that the the results uh, of this clinical trial uh, will spur more funding? Will will this fight be better funded going forward?
2: Well, hopefully, because as as he said, other illnesses like cancer is very mainstream and. Alzheimer's is very, very underfunded and not really spoken about as much as all the other big illnesses out there and cancer has a lot of cures to it and treatments, whereas Alzheimer's has, has had nothing until now. So hopefully this is a start of something that it can be spoken about more and more awareness is raised to be able to raise more money and funds mm. for future people. Uh,
0: future- um- uh, Susan Kohlhaas, uh, of course, the early detection of uh, neurodegenerative disorders, it's crucial for recognizing signs of of Alzheimer's or or recognizing signs of cognitive decline overall. Uh, do you think we're going to see more breakthroughs on this front?
1: I think we have to if, uh, you know these uh, you know we' we're, we're now on the precipice of having our first generation of treatments that can slow uh, disease processes. But they'll do us no good unless we can start to identify and treat people early. Um, we've seen a number of breakthroughs in the field that have been a little bit less high profile than this one over the years, starting to look at different, different and cheaper ways of um, identifying people who have the pathology in the brain, uh, you know, associated with Alzheimer's disease. So, so protein measuring uh, the ability to measure in the blood, for example, a uh, buildup of amyloid and tau. And I think what we really need to do as a field is focus on how do we get people diagnosed early into the clinic, um, you know, a- offer access to drugs when they finally do come through the regulatory process, but also get them involved in research. I think this is a once in a lifetime opportunity to take this breakthrough and actually turn it into more discoveries. What happens when we lower amyloids in the brain? What are the other processes that are going on? How can we start to target those? It's important to remember that there are over 140 different treatments in clinical trials right now for Alzheimer's disease. Um, most of those are not for amyloid. Um, and I think it's it's probably this era of starting to think about what would combination treatments look like and how would we do that as a field that will really shift the dial on what we're able to do. Uh,
0: Bart Distrupe, I saw you nodding along to some of what Susan was saying there. It looked like you wanted to jump in, so please go ahead.
3: Oh uh, no, I was just agreeing with, with with the two previous speakers. I think uh, getting away from the taboo which uh, hangs around Alzheimer's and dementia, it's crucial if you want as a society face the problem in full full dimension. Uh, uh, we are probably not going to talk a lot about care today, but but it's really essential that, that our governments, our responsible people, st- start to think how we are going to organise that. Because this drug is not going to make that risk, all of a sudden no people with dementia anymore. So there will be maybe a small dent in the curve and we will have to work hard um, to get new drugs. I, I I usually make a comparison with... With AIDS, because people remember that this was a, dis- a disease for with no cures. And then uh, in the beginning we didn't really know how to deal with it. And then there was a drug which worked but not fantastic. And then we got better and better drugs. And nowadays we we have a cure for that, for that, for that disorder. So I think that's that's about the time frame we will see now for, for Alzheimer's. Um, uh, we will see valuable improvements. Mm. Uh, and so we need to think both about about investing in research, investing in new cures, and also investing in a good care and a good diagnosis of the patients. We need to, to start to take that uh, in a professional way. And then a last point I also want to make, because there is a lot of confusion about dementia and Alzheimer and, and, and so on. So these are all neurodegenerative disorders and so um, you have Alzheimer's, but you have also Parkinson's disease. You have also amy- amyotrophic lateral sclerosis. And they have all the same principle of, of, of disease. So I expect that we will see very soon also breakthroughs in these other areas based on the success we make here. Mm. And it's very important also to realize that many people which are diagnosed with Alzheimer's have mixed forms of neurodegeneration. So it's not only one process which is going on, but two or three and so, the importance to get to broaden our portfolio and to do further deep basic research, because that's usually not mentioned at all, but it's the basic research which has made this possible. And it's the basic research which will make it possible to treat all these other mechanisms of neurodegeneration. So that's for me be very important as a message.
0: Uh, Graeme, uh, we, we ran a report earlier in the show from my colleague uh, Harry Fawcett, and, and he said in his report that if this treatment is approved, it's going to be expensive, it's going to be difficult to administer. Patients are going to need uh, blood transfusions, as I understand it, twice a month. Um, First of all, from your perspective, how difficult might it be for patients to actually get this treatment when and if it's approved? And, and are you concerned that this treatment is going to be too expensive uh, to become widely available?
2: Yeah, so it could cause issues. I mean, from my mum's perspective, it would be too late for her if anything did come out anytime soon. Um, but even getting them to clinics or anywhere to administer that treatment would be very difficult. And the cost of it, it's already very difficult as a former carer of my mum to be able to afford things like that, because a lot of carers are giving up their jobs and they are living at home with their parent to look after them. So I don't know where they're going to get the money from to do that. Or if the government pay for that, it will be very expensive. So I don't know where they would get the funding for that, which is why more awareness needs are raised for it to be able to raise those funds for people.
0: Graham, may I ask, because you have been so public and so open about what it's been like for you and your family to, to deal with Alzheimer's, uh, if, if you had been told earlier on in the course of this disease um, that your mother is suffering from that that this might have been a viable option, how, how would you have felt uh, to think that you might have been able to get that extra time? I mean, what what does the potential of this mean uh, for those who are just now hearing about a, a diagnosis, about potentially getting a little bit of extra time with a relative if if this drug is ultimately approved.
2: Yeah, that, that is the, the main point. It's time. It's time that's been taken away from us as a family and moments that we'll never experience. So even if it saves some time, it's it's time that we need. Um, if we had that option then, we would definitely look into it and do what we could to get it. I think there's also a lot of side effects, but the the side effects could be outweighed by the the positives of, of this drug, if it does save time, if it does let families spend that more time together, create more memories and just have life events together that might not be able to experience. And we don't know how long each stage lasts in Alzheimer's. So like my mum can't speak very much anymore. So it'd be nice if even that time, could have come back another year of her being able to speak to me and know who I was. It'd be, it'd be tasteless.
0: Susan Kohlhaas, um, you heard Graeme there talk about the fact that there are side effects and, and experts ha- have already warned about potential side effects from from this drug. Um, what are some of those side effects? What are some of the concerns going forward?
1: So, I, th- I think the main side effect that many people are concerned about is something called ARIA which um, is swelling and or microbleeds on the brain. And I think um, it's really important to note that, so this drug hasn't been through regulatory approval yet. I think the next step before it becomes more widely available is that it needs to go um, and and get regulatory approval. And I think regulators in different countries will look at those side effects in detail and weigh um, the effectiveness of the drug, but also the, the safety profile of the drug. And provide some recommendations about, how, or or even conditions about how it could be used and what monitoring people would need to go through in order to access the drug. But then, just to just to make a couple of points. So one of one of the things um, for people to remember is, it's not blood transfusions that people need. It's infusion. So it's uh, going to hospital for an hour or so to have a, the drug sort of put put on a drip and have the drug um, put into your system that way.
0: Right. And Apologies
1: I think the other for that. Thing, don't worry, it's fine. It's a very easy mistake to make. Um, and I think the other thing that people should be aware of is each country will have its own system for deciding how the drug should be given, and how much, it, you know, whether, whether it's subsidized or paid for by that country's health system. And so those conversations between the company and each of the different countries haven't started yet. And we we don't have any information on exactly what the drug would cost or how it would be administered. But I think it's fair to say that in most countries, certainly in the UK, the NHS is not ready to deliver this drug. Um, And the time is now to get governments, charities, uh, clinicians and people affected by um, Alzheimer's disease together to work out how we make the system ready to deliver treatment at large, not just this specific treatment. That's, you know, we we don't want to lose any time to do that because um, mm-hmm. the research effort has been put in uh, and we want to make sure people can benefit as quickly as possible. Uh,
0: Graeme, um... If, if there's one message you'd, you'd like to give to viewers out there about what, what, what kind of a toll this disease takes on, on families, on, on individuals, uh, what would that be?
2: Um, it is completely life-changing. It steals so much from you. Um, and I just think a lot of people think this is a person who is very old gets, as opposed to... My mum was early onset and it becoming younger so it's something that's becoming a bigger problem and younger and younger and people need to speak more about it and be more outspoken about it and like myself try to raise much awareness as possible because it is life-changing it does affect everything to do in my life it's made me grow up very quickly because my mum is my only parent left and it's it just has a big mental and physical toll on you and the whole family it's completely life-changing
0: all right, well, we have run out of time, so we're going to have to leave our conversation there. Thanks so much to all of our guests, Graeme Sutherland, Bart Destrooper, and Susan Kohlhaas. This episode was produced by Damian Lay, Usama al Aseba Mirzaeva and Jimmy Gerahun. Studio sound was by Suraj Shankar. The program was edited by Yorgos Floro Kapis, Lynn Nguyen, and Joe DeFrias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. We'll be back again on Friday. <music>